Hey there. I'm pleased to present a new sponsor for this summer, Gooder, a company that is all about creating fun, fashionable, and functional sunglasses that are actually affordable. Gooder makes quality shades more accessible, which helps makes what we love to do in the outdoors easier for more people. So when I first heard about Gooder's no-slip, no-bounce, polarized, and super cute sunglasses that cost less than my post-hike dinner, I was all in. If you'd like to support She Explorers and treat yourself to a pair of Gooders, head over to Gooder.com and enter Explore15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com and use code EXPLORE15 to get 15% off your entire order. Look good, adventure Gooder. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's so beautiful and true. And also, I had to laugh because it's like sometimes things are so dark that the truth is almost like funny in terms yeah. of, wow, that it's just intense. Like, I was just yeah. thinking like, oh, we could, that would be a really interesting lead quote for this <laughs> this episode. Just like grief is going to get you. <laughs> In the end, <laughs> I, I always laugh when I'm talking about dark things. I, yeah, it's it's a. I feel like it's it's legit. It's a very legit way. It's another coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is, and it is. I think the darkness of existence. I think one kind of humor is absurdity, and it is deeply absurd. Like it is like, yeah, just how dark the shit we have to accept about mm. embodiment it's just it's just a lot <laughs> you know like <laughs> it's kind of just a lot and it's absurd it's absurd how much it is so i think it's valid as like also being it's kind of funny in that way because it's like okay like this is it's too much it's absurd <laughs> over four years ago i tore through a book called through hiking will break your heart I read it like a lot of people read Kara Quinn's writing and how she walked her first through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail. Each page or mile felt faster than the one before. Carrot has this gift for immersive, visceral writing that puts you into their well-worn trail shoes. And as escapist as the subject matter may seem, Carrot's memoir writing is introspective, self-aware but not overwrought, and explores greater aspects of the human condition. She manages to share her own life in a way that is deeply personal and relatable at the same time. Carrot's latest memoir, The Sunset Route, came out earlier in July. I talked with her right after it came out and right after I read it. I feel really good. It feels um, anticlimactic, but in kind of in like a nice way. Like it just feels very chill because I, I finished it last fall and then it just takes time to actually get out into the world with traditional publishing, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> you know, with, when you self-publish, you can like, you know, kind of do what you want depending on, you know, how much capacity you have or time or whatever. And with traditional publishing, it, it always takes like a certain amount of time, which is, so th- So I've been waiting for a while and the suspense was really getting to me because I was like, okay, okay, okay. And so now it's out and I'm just like, okay, it's out. I can stop like feeling nervous or wondering about different things. So it actually feels really nice. For those of you who read and loved Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart, the Sunset Route fills in a lot of the backstory. You get glimpses in her first book as Carrot tells their story on the PCT, 
nods to her childhood growing up in poverty in Alaska, references to her history riding freight trains in the early 2000s, her complicated relationship with Raman, a fellow through hiker who pledged loyalty to trees and Catholicism in equal measure. But we get so much more insight through the sunset route. It's interesting. I got some feedback for through hiking will break your heart where people were like, I wish you wrote more about your childhood. And then I've gotten, I've seen one thing about the sunset route. That's like, I wish I knew more about her through hiking life. <laughs> I'm like, mm. well, maybe now people can find <laughs> all the information they need between these two books. Yeah. Go to like 80% of the way through sunset route insert through hiking will break your heart. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. To exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I should have added that as a note. Right before like the last part in the sunset route where it's like 2019 or whatever. I should have added that as a note. (laughs) This is my second time interviewing Carrot. The first time was in 2016, the 12th episode of this podcast. And back then, she told me this. Right now I'm working on a book about my years riding freight trains. And then I won't have to write memoir anymore (laughs) because that'll be all my stories. Carrot repeated the same sentiment this time around. I feel embarrassed that I wrote so much memoir, honestly, because I, mm. you know, my my first book, I really wanted to write about hiking the PCT the first time because it was such like this pure adventure for me and still is. It's still like the most fun I've ever had in my life. Maybe we all get like one of those in our lifetime, you know, <laughs> like one adventure that is just so pure. So I really wanted to write about that because it felt just like, so beautiful and and then I've and then I've always had this like urge to write about my childhood <laughs> and sort of like how I processed the stuff I experienced as a kid and I like okay now I've done that and I'm and now I'm like okay now I feel like really embarrassed that I like wrote about myself so much and also really sick of myself in a way like <laughs> I have like embarrassment at my own self I don't know but yeah I'm really excited to write write nonfiction about things that aren't my own life and also uh, write fiction next. Carrot's living a life that pretty much guarantees that she'll still have more stories to tell, though I can relate to the vulnerability overload of centering yourself in your work. I really, really enjoyed reading The Sunset Route, which is billed as an adventure memoir. Carrot spent her early 20s hopping freight trains and hitchhiking before discovering through hiking. But what struck me the most is how Carrot found nurturing through nature in Alaska amidst a traumatic childhood marked by neglect and abandonment. And as Carrot grew older, she channeled that nurturing through movement. So while the idea of taking adventure is often a privilege, something one does for fun, a theme I noticed is that it's been almost equal parts survival for Carrot. Before we jump in, it's worth noting that in our conversation, we touch on childhood trauma. Here's Carrot on how she thinks about adventure today. I think when I first got into riding freight trains, I think I really needed to feel strong and empowered. And I think that was, I think for a lot of us, we find something that's kind of the first thing in our lives that makes us feel that way. Whatever it is at whatever age, you know, we find something that makes us feel like really strong and empowered. And I think that was the first thing for me. So I think it was really important in in somehow developing my, I don't know what sense of self. I think that feeling of freedom 
has always been really intoxicating. And when I was younger, I wanted to escape my life pretty much always, no matter where I was or what I was doing, because I was struggling with, I was trying not to face like this grief, like this massive Mm. grief that I needed to face, but wasn't ready to face. And so sort of when you like leave someplace and go on, you know, quote unquote adventure, I think what characterizes that is taking away all the familiar in your life and going from doing everything on sort of muscle memory to everything being new and having to use like the bandwidth of your entire brain each day to navigate everything where you're going to sleep, no matter what the adventure, you know, like where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, how you're going to get there, how you're going to take care of your basic needs. Like it just takes away because when you're, you know, living in your house in the town, working your job, a lot of stuff you no longer need to use bandwidth for because you're doing it every day and it's familiar. Mm. And so you start to feel your feelings probably. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I don't know. But if you're using like the bandwidth of your whole brain just to take care of your basic needs, then there's no room to feel feel other things kind of. You're just kind of in this. And you also get all these like endorphins and good feelings because I don't know, something out when things are new, it, you know, it it creates all this like pleasure and excitement and everything's sparkly. And so I think for me, constant travel when I was younger was a way to stay in that space and sort of put off facing this like grief that I wasn't at all ready to process. Like I could beat myself off and be like, Oh, I should have just like, you know, started processing this, but I I wasn't ready. Like I think our brains I think we need time. A lot of time we need like Mm. distance. We need distance from the actual event (laughs) and we need time. And sometimes our brains need to mature a little bit. And so, yeah, I wasn't ready. So I think that was that for me. And I think now, oh, and I always hated my life and just wanted to escape. I was always like depressed wherever I was. And that was true when I started long distance hiking too in 2013. I was like, I was like, nothing about my life is appealing. I can't like, nothing feels pleasurable. I just feel really demoralized. So long distance hiking, like five months a year was a way to run away and escape and uh, have everything be new again and not Mm. feel those feelings. And now I actually really like my life. And there's a lot in my life that I do find pleasure in, which is something that came later to me as I like you know, honestly, as I like started to process the grief and like became more ready, like my brain got more ready to like, be like, okay, let's like look at this and feel these feelings, you know? So now I don't want to leave as much, which is actually really nice because it makes it possible to invest in things that I couldn't before and have the sorts of, the sort of stability that I want and definitely need as I get older too. (laughs) So now adventure, it's fun, but it's like also fun when I'm not on a trip and feels really good then too. So that's really cool actually. Yeah. I, I also love how gentle you are on your younger self, you know, that you're like, it's okay. That wasn't your time to process. Like you needed more. And cause I think Obviously, that's a healthy approach versus like beating yourself up for not for not being there yet. Yeah, I think we have to be realistic about what our brains can handle. Like, there's a reason that we have all these 
ways of avoiding our feelings and all these coping mechanisms. And I think sometimes it's that we literally can't handle it. Like we can't, like all the different ways our brains change after trauma are coping mechanisms so that we can survive what we've experienced. Mm. And I think that's real. Like I needed to survive what I'd experienced and, uh, I wasn't ready to like process it yet because it's, I feel like I had to, I had to slowly bit by bit find a place of peace with like these different ways the world is because I was like just steeped in it too much as a child, like before my brain could even like compartmentalize or conceptualize or or explain anything, you know? Mm. And so I think I had to like slowly come to terms with some different things before I could start to process like, what I had experienced, you know, cause I needed a place to like put things hmm. like, this is why this happened. Now I feel like I understand why my mom was abusive because of her own illness and the things she'd experienced. And just, she, she was so over capacity and had such limited tools that all she could do was like lash out. And I think it took me like a really long time to to understand that that's the way like the world works that often people or maybe always people are abusive because they're past the capacity for what they have tools for. It's like self-protective. Like people are trying to prevent their own pain basically, or protect themselves from their own pain. And they're not in a place of groundedness. And so like, it took me a long time to start to learn that stuff. And then I had like context and like a place to put things. And yeah, I think all around us and ourselves included, we see people who are just acting out of pain. And often it's like people just aren't ready to like process what they need to process (laughs) in order to heal. Mm. And what role does writing play for you in that? (laughs) That's a great question. I think, I think writing the sunset route help me process a lot or I think it it helped me move on which is really cool it did it did make it so that I was like then I was like sick of it <laughs> like I was like <laughs> I was like and I'm sick of this story but I for some reason I think maybe we all want our pain to be witnessed and validated like we all because my childhood very much happened in secret like it was my brother was there and her mom was there and my best friend when I was a kid, she knew eventually and like teachers knew, but it was very much like something our mom, she tried to hide from the world. Mm. And then as an adult, I just sort of transitioned into this world where I'm not really surrounded by people who have childhood similar to mine. Like I do have some friends who have childhoods similar to mine and I'm like so grateful for those relationships, but mostly it's like, it's very invisible and, uh, so having that writing about that pain and having it like witnessed and validated feels an, like an important part of the process. So I always had this like urge to write about those stories. And now I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to move on. So now I'm sick of it, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is funny. But my hope is that, that people who grew up with the level of poverty I grew up in, in or with a similar childhoods that were similar in different ways. My hope is that those people can read the book and feel seen and validated 
because I think when you grow up like that, there's a sort of dark shame that you carry that it's very heavy. And I know when I read books about experiences like mine, I feel like really seen and validated because I'm like, that world is real and it exists just behind this one. And some, I mean, a lot of people around us exist in that world, you know, Mm. and it's like two different worlds layered on top of each other, probably more than two. It's like, we live in this world that is many, many worlds all layered on top of each other and they all exist and they're all real. And sometimes you hold more than one. And when I read other people write about that, it feels like so validating and good to be like, I'm not the only one. (laughs) Helps other people process too. Yeah, totally. Kara and I kept chatting about processing trauma, grief, and embodiment, but I'm inspired by Carrot to think beyond the linear and save it for the end of this episode. All that and more after the break. <sighs> I've dealt with sleep anxiety for most of my life, which makes tomorrow's energy just another worry to put on my list. I've been on the hunt for effective sleep support for years. Trying Pachamama's CBD Sleep Well Gummies was my first step to taking some control back from my own overthinking. A 2016 study found that it takes four days to fully recover from one hour of lost sleep. Let's see, that's 365 days times 28 years minus three or four hours a night. We don't have that kind of time. Pachamama's recently released Sleep Well Formula is a unique blend of CBD, CBN, and melatonin for a better night's sleep, meaning my anxious mind and body get the wind down and complete rest they deserve. Plus, elderberry extract for immune support makes them the perfect sweet nightcap. <sighs> Visit PachamamaCBD.com. That's P-A-C-H-A-MamaCBD.com. And use the code EXPLORE for 40% off a better night's sleep. That's P-A-C-H-A-MAMA-C-B-D.com. Code EXPLORE for 40% off. However you're embracing movement this summer, it's important to feel your body along the way, which is where Organifi comes in. Organifi creates delicious superfood blends that help your body find the balance it needs while you're out there. Just add a scoop to a glass of water to energize and nourish your day with carefully picked fruits, vegetables, medicinal mushrooms, and more. Organifi allows you to take the summer goodness of fruits and veggies with you on the trail or on a road trip without the bulk of fresh produce. You can drink their green juice on the move without chopping, juicing, or blending. In just 30 seconds, stir up a stress-reducing juice packed with 11 different kinds of herbs, antioxidants, and adaptogens. Learn more and get 20% off your order by heading to Organifi.com explore and using the code explore at checkout. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash explore, code explore for 20% off. We're back. One thing I appreciated in reading The Sunset Route is that Carrot reveals real time as she's coming into her own herself and learning about the world and its inequities, how much of what she's doing, hopping freight trains, shoplifting, spending a few days in jail, she can get away with more easily because she's white. And because she grew up hungry, with a deep understanding of what it means to go without, Carrot does a lot today to share some of the stability she's earned for herself with others. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that I don't do a whole lot, but also at the same time, it's hard because I think we all have to come to terms with what's one person's worth of work. Because I think if I'm like, I am going to change the world, that becomes this weird egotistical like saviorism Mm -hmm. for me. And, but if I'm like, I want to do one person's worth of work, then it becomes this because if I'm like, I'm going to change the world, then I will throw myself into something really hard and burn out. And then I'll be like, okay, now I just need to like quit this entirely and, you know, give up. And if I'm like, okay, what is one person's worth of work? You know, I'm just one human being. Then I can find something that I can sort of chip away at for a long time without becoming really discouraged and demoralized. So, so I'm like, well, I haven't done that much, but I'm like, maybe I'm, I'm doing like what is reasonable but I yeah for a while when when I was still long distance hiking and blogging a lot and had a lot of people reading my blog I would use those blog posts to raise money for different things which felt good um mm-hmm. like I would be like I would find different fundraisers and things and then uh I would be like when this fundraiser gets to this amount I'll put the next post and when the fundraiser gets to this amount I'll put the next post and that was really cool and I think if you have like a a hiking blog where you're blogging a lot and have a lot of readers, that can be a cool thing to do. And it's also, I think, fun for people reading because then they, it's fun for them to like be involved in these little fundraisers. And then at the beginning of COVID, some neighbors and I started this mutual aid group in Tucson where I live in the winters. And that's pretty cool. I'm in Alaska right now for the summer, so I'm not part of it right now, but it's just neighborhood based. So we wanted to keep it small because the older I get, the more important I realize relationships are maybe actually more important than anything, more important than the words you use, more important than your identity, more important than what you say is your relationships. Like, because those are so foundational. And I feel like if you're saying and doing all these things, but the relationships aren't there, then, you know, maybe you're not actually making change I don't know I have no idea but I think for me the older I get the more I'm like relationship is the most important thing maybe the only thing that matters and so the group's really neighborhood based because then we can uh, build relationships with the people in the neighborhood and just also move very slow like super Mm -hmm. slow because that's like to build relationship and to build a uh, trust, it actually just is very slow and which is very humbling, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But so what we do is just give groceries away to people and we've been doing it for uh, like a, a year and some months now. And it's cool. We got like a couple of grants and we fundraise some money and we get donations and we deliver groceries to anybody in the neighborhood who wants them. And we have a hotline and so it's like just a, like a small project, but that feels really good. And it feels like something that it's small enough that it's something that every, the people involved can just put work into over time without like burning out or being like, yeah, without burning out, I guess. So that feels good. But so, so I'm like, okay, this is my like little one person's worth of work. And as I continue on in life I'm just I want to just stay curious and stay open about like what is helpful and what feels right without trying to have like a lot of attachment to this idea of like changing the world because that 
I don't know. I feel like when I, it's just, yeah, I just have to stay grounded in like small things, I think, or I get overwhelmed. (laughs) Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so about those, um, relate, like wanting to build relationships and relationships feeling like the, the important thing or like one of the most important things, do you feel like you've cultivated like a, a family for yourself, a chosen family over time? Um, I feel like family is so hard for all of us these days, right? I feel like there's a certain kind of family that the way we've set up our society in the U S it's, you know, set up for this one kind of family, like the nuclear family and anything outside of that is hard to cultivate because it's just, we're just not set up for that. You know, like we don't have multi-generational households. We don't, we don't care for disabled folks. We don't, I mean, I don't have kids, but it seems like if you have kids, it's not a very kid-friendly world. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's really, it's getting harder and harder to own property. And if, and more and more, everybody is having to change cities as housing inflation sort of ripples across the country. So people are constantly having to move. And when you move all the time, you can't build these place-based communities. And community and family is also it's about place and you need to have place in order to have like communities that are stable in that way. So right now I feel like I have people I love who are scattered all over the country (laughs) and Alaska is the, the one place I can go where I feel like there's a lot of uh, folks in one place where I'm like, okay, here's, Somewhere where there's a lot of people that um, I want to continue to build these relationships with and would love to keep building community with. And it's like a place that I feel very connected to. And then the rest of the U.S., it's like, you know, a few people here, a few people there who like I love and care about, but don't actually get to see IRL that often. and. And mostly people are moving around a lot because of housing inflation. And yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I think that when I was younger in my early 20s, when the housing market was really different and rent wasn't constantly going up. And also sometimes people were, people were more easily able to buy homes, maybe. Um, or maybe renters just weren't being pushed out. Things felt more, communities felt more stable. Like you could be in a place for 10 years and know other people there for 10 years and people weren't constantly like oh my god oh my god like i need housing everything's too expensive where should we move where should we live i feel like more and more that question is getting harder and i feel like everyone is getting hungrier and hungrier for some sense of place and community and something where they're not being pushed out everyone you know it's it's especially working class communities and poor communities and but now it's, you know, it's even the middle class now. It's everyone who's not wealthy <laughs> uh, these days, which is really interesting. And I wonder if it'll lead to sort of a cultural moment where when this housing market or whatever, when something shifts and people are able to stay put, if there's going to be this just like 
this cultural like interest in having community again. That's really intense, but <laughs> it is um, fascinating that you know you can't answer a personal question without or one can't answer a personal question without thinking about all these other forces that are like totally out of your control that are shaping your personal life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a, yeah. The question of community and family, I feel like is on everyone's minds these days. We are all like, what is the world that we live in? Like, how do we form human social structures? Like how, Mm. what does that look like? Like, where is the place that we live? Like, what is place? Like, what are the plants there? What are the seasons like? Where do we sleep at night? How long can we stay? What other humans do we have connections to? What do our social groups look like? Do we have social groups anymore? Like, obviously having human social groups is such a basic human need. So we're not going to be able to go long in this state right now where it's like sort of peak alienation. And I I don't know. Yeah, it's really interesting. But right now, so I feel like I'm just going like year by year, you know, like being like, okay, this year, (laughs) here is how I can be around the people that I really care about and feel connection. And obviously, during COVID, you know, everything was like out the window. And I'm like, okay, now it's more possible. So what does it look like now? And I think everyone's struggling with that, too, because during COVID, you know, most people were feeling isolated and cut off. And now people are like, okay, how do we organize in social groups now? So, uh, yeah. So right now I'm in Alaska and I have a lot of friends here who I really love. And then my girlfriend is in the lower 48, but she works seasonally. So she works on trail crews in the summer. So where she is right now is not where she is in the winter. So we both sort of live seasonally in the winter, I'll be back in Tucson and she'll be there too. So then we'll get to be in the same place for the winter and we have friends there. And that's what my life looks like this year. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote it all linearly. And then I, I, I tried a lot of different things to try and figure out how to mix it up. But what I ended up doing was writing down, titling each section and then writing those titles on index cards and putting those index cards on the floor and Mm. that was the only way it would like fit in my brain and going around and rearranging those index cards until it felt like it like flowed in a certain way but I'm like I hope it worked (laughs) Carrot's talking about the sunset route which for about three quarters of the book jumps back and forth in time as Carrot is learning the ropes of riding freight trains and walking us through her childhood in Alaska. I would love to hear how you feel like you've grown as a writer since, and I know you've, it sounds like you've always been a writer. Like when you were riding trains, you were working on a fictional book about riding trains, I think. I feel like I remember you said that in Sunset Route, but how do you feel like you've you've grown in between you know these two publications? A lot of the stories from the Sunset Route came from this zine I put out in my early twenties while I was writing trains that had like all my train riding stories and hitchhiking stories, and so a lot of that material eventually became like parts of the Sunset Route. So that's what I was working on in the book, where I was like on my like clamshell MacBook or whatever. My like orange (laughs) clamshell MacBook MacBook that I got like used on eBay. But I think, I think one way I've grown is that my first book was just a 
it was just a blog. So it was like day by day. It wasn't structured in any special way because it was based on my blog posts. And then I turned that into sort of chapters and shaped it, but it was still very much like day after day. And then the sunset route moves around in time a lot, which really uh, was really hard work for my brain and took a lot of playing around to figure Mm. out like I had to change the tense of the entire book like multiple times. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cool because you, you know, you have to rewrite it over and over anyway. And so each time you go through and change the tense, you get a chance to edit it and rewrite it. So, you know, (laughs) it is what it is, but it was really hard. And I feel like I learned a lot and I feel like I still haven't quite gotten to where I want to be at all with even understanding how to do that stuff. So now I feel like when I read, I'm reading more with an ear to how other people do that because I'm trying to learn Mm. how to do that better, like how to have structures that aren't just like 100% linear because, you know, so much of what I read isn't. And I think there's so many like beautiful ways to play around with structure and it's really difficult. It's like really beautiful and really difficult and challenging. And it's really exciting to like read stuff now and be like, oh, wow, this is what this person does. Like, wow, like this person like moves around in time and moves between different characters, different narrators without Mm. ever telling you what's happening or explaining anything. And I was like, wow, like (laughs) that's really cool. And also you're assuming so much from the reader. Like you're assuming that they're willing to do that work and you're assuming that they're willing to trust you and that they're willing to have patience for that. And like, what an interesting thing to be like, I'm just going to be really free right now. And the reader can just figure it out. And just like, but also then you have to like actually do it really well, you know? (laughs) So like, so, so reading stuff now and being like, wow, like how did this person do this? So that's really fun. And I'm really excited to write fiction because I, because there's more freedom. I feel like to do stuff like that too. So it's, it's fun. There's like, you know, with writing, it's like you can, there's so much room to grow, I guess, with any, you know, with any sort of art or whatever. And that's really exciting to me. So yeah, that's been really fun. Okay. Remember before the break, when I said I'd share part of our conversation at the end, Carrot had been talking about how we live in this world that is many, many worlds all layered on top of each other. And they all exist and they're all real. And sometimes you hold more than one. Which made me remember Carrot's metaphor of grief as an ocean from the sunset route. Quote, I learned that you couldn't escape the darkness entirely, but you could learn to live above it. Grief was an ocean, but you could reach the surface and bob there where the light was. Unquote. I love the metaphor. It's towards the end of Sunset Route. And I think it's just essentially, and I'm going to terribly paraphrase it, but it's, you know, grief as an ocean and you bobbing up with your head towards the surface (laughs) just to get a little bit of that light. And how when you're talking about parallel worlds or lots of different worlds, we've got bits of our bodies or lots of our bodies are we're totally submerged. Like there's just there's like a lot to hold within that metaphor in terms of what we're all kind of wading in or treading through. And I I feel like that's something that like even if you didn't have a childhood like yours that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, yeah. Because embodiment is like some pretty intense 
suffering. And I think life is a process of just losing everything <laughs> until we die. And so I think we all just hold like massive amounts of grief. It's like we're getting covered in like barnacles the longer we live. That's just like these heavy barnacles of grief that just <laughs> weigh us down. And I feel like it just continues to accumulate until we die. And maybe that's why we have to die. Like maybe that's, I mean, I understand like evolutionarily mm. why death, death is a thing so that mammals can adapt and evolve, but maybe that's another reason we have to die. We can't live forever is because we need to compost and dissolve all of those barnacles. <laughs> so like, you know, people can be born that aren't covered in grief barnacles, but I, I do think that we can't escape the grief, but yeah, that we can sort of, it's like this ocean and we can get to the surface and like hold our head above the surface and mm. breathe there, but we can't ever, we can't climb out of it and it just accumulates. <laughs> I ask Harriet, like I ask everyone I talk with, if there's anything else they want to add. Here are Carrot's short wishes. And yeah, I don't think there's anything else I want to share. People, yeah, I hope people, if they read it, I hope it's like a nice adventure and or feels cathartic or reflective of experiences they might have had. And yeah, I just hope it's escapist and fun to read. That's basically the goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say thank you to you for coming on. And also thank you for, for writing the book. I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it was cathartic, but it was, um, it's just like one of those, the universal aspects of like life being hard at times and the way that you verbalize or write about what you're working through in what feels like a very honest and transparent way. I guess that is cathartic in a way, like to be able to, to read through someone else's processing, at least on a personal level helps, helps me know myself better, even if I don't have a ton, you know, on the surface level in common with you. Yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. The, the human experience. Yeah. Embodiment is brutal no matter who you are. And yeah. We're we're all trying to process this grief. <laughs> <laughs> this grief of existing. <laughs> Absolutely. You can find the Sunset Route wherever books are sold. I'll link that, and through hiking will break your heart in our show notes. Thank you to Carrot for taking the time to talk. Follow along with Carrot on Instagram at Carrot Quinn. Big thanks to our sponsors, Gooder, Organifi, and Pachamama CBD. You can find She Explorers on social media, our website, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at Gail Straub. If you enjoy listening, there are different ways to support us. You can subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. And if you'd like to connect, join us in the She Explorers podcast Facebook group. Music in this episode is licensed through Musicbed. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Gail Straub, with editorial support from Julie Hotz. She Explorers is a production of Ravel Media released on Wednesdays. Next week, Gabacha is back with her fourth episode of her residency. Until then, stay curious. <laughs>